You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So Genesis 27 is where we'll be. We'll actually read the last two verses of Genesis 26. This morning, uh, we're going to begin a, a look at one of the more infamous stories in all the Bible. And uh, when, you, when you read Genesis 27, it, it's so much, honestly, it's like a soap opera. And, and, and you almost expect when you open the page to Genesis 27, you almost expect the theme for days of our lives to start playing. Because there's just such drama and dysfunction in this family it's hard to believe this is the family that God has chosen to bless the world through and to represent him to the world this is the family and when you think about what they're doing the dysfunction it's really just it's shocking so how do they get here well I believe uh, we have something to learn from observing them this morning so let's stand together we're going to read the last couple verses of Genesis 26 and then just for time's sake, and you might, you'll be thanking me for this, uh, we're not going to do the whole, the whole chapter today. I just didn't feel like I could do justice to the whole thing, and so we'll, we'll split it up. We'll read about half of it here. Genesis 26, begin reading in verse 34, and reading down through verse 17 of Genesis 27. So Genesis 26, 34, it says, And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold now, I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And by the way, Isaac is being dramatic himself here. He says, I don't know when I'm going to die, but according to what you, you find out, he lived decades longer than this. So he really wasn't on his deathbed, although I've been hungry enough for a good piece of meat that I felt like I was on my deathbed. Um, but I don't think that's justification for doing what he did. Let's look at verse 6. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, just think about what's happening here. Bring me venison and, I, and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me, uh, fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, this is humorous, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. I mean, of all the things he could have been arguing, he's like, have you seen the hair on his arms, Mom? I'm a smooth man. My father, peradventure, verse 12, will feel me, and 
I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Wow, took a serious turn there. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. We're going to stop reading there. I think probably many of us know what happens the rest of this story, but I just want to set the table for their mindset here. I'd love to keep reading. Uh, we'll, we'll try to cover it the next time, but this plays out like such a dysfunctional family. And uh, I mean, everyone is more interested in what they want than what God wants. And, and when, it, when that happens, it all spirals out of control every time. See, when we say my way instead of God's way, we are asking for trouble. We're asking for dysfunction. And it, it, it sounds great to say I did it my way uh, until you realize that my way is always inferior to God's way. You can do it your way, but you won't get what you wanted. And the cost is high. And the title that I'm working with today is Wrong Devices, Bad Results. Wrong Devices, Bad Results. Let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its, its clarity and for its truth. And God, we thank you for letting us have copies that we can hold and read. And there's copies in the pews even here today that you can just reach out and grab and look at and God, we don't take for granted that we have your word, but Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be people that hold it in our laps today, but don't let it pierce into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we'd open ourselves up to you and whatever it is that you have for us, that you'd speak to us in a clear way through your Holy Spirit by illuminating the word of God to our hearts. We love you. We're thankful for this truth and pray that you'd help us to be open to hearing what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, some years ago, when I was uh, working on, on staff at, at church in Oklahoma, uh, we had a large project. Every year we would do, uh, we, we had this thing called a men's advance, is what we called it. And we would have um, 1,800 men, I mean, sometimes come to this event. We would host it. And so it was a large event. But one of the things that made it unique was every year we would, we would build a massive, uh, some kind of a massive structure out in the front of the lawn of the church to draw attention to the theme. I mean, we, we, it, one, one year the theme was the, was the Great White Throne Judgment, and we built a 60-foot tall chair and put it out in front of the front lawn of the church. And one year uh, the theme was an army theme, and, and so we, we built this massive, uh, just kind of a massive structure that looked like the beaches uh, of Normandy and, and uh, had all of the, just all the things that you would see in those images on the front lawn and and it was when we were building this massive, I think it was probably 50 feet tall, and just spanned the, the, the whole, uh, almost the entire front of the church uh, was this, this massive display. And we were building that. That's what we were working on. Um, and, and it's something, and I'm not even talking about the display. That's just to illustrate uh, what I'm trying to get to this morning. But, but I would remember I was working with this other man, and, 
And, and I like to call myself in situations like that, I call myself a helper. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm not the skilled laborer. The skilled laborer will say, you go get this for me so that I can do this job right here. And that's, that's, that's what I do. I'm the helper. And I'm available to do whatever, but I'm not one of the skilled laborers. And there was another guy that was working near me, and he also would be considered helper. And he would actually have been, if I was helper, like, level one, he was helper level three, okay? He was very green, didn't have a lot of experience. And so he was trying to finish this little part of the project and, uh, and there was a, a nail that he had to hammer into this, this piece of lumber, but he didn't have a hammer. All he had was a drill. And so, I mean, it's not a, it didn't end poorly or anything, but, but he takes the nail and he starts banging on it with the, the, the battery end of the drill trying to hammer it in. You know, and me as a helper, you know, level one, I'm, I'm thinking, well, I mean, not a bad idea. You got to do what you got to do. Well, on the other side was a skilled laborer, and his name was Casey, and he looked at, at this, this uh, helper next to me, and he said, that's a pretty expensive hammer you got there. And I was thinking, in my mind, I was thinking, well, it's not a bad idea. He's being resourceful. But when I heard him say that, I started thinking about it. And you know what caused me to think? He's right. There's a, there's a lot cheaper ways to hammer a nail than to take a $100 drill and try to hammer a nail. And not only that, it, a hammer would do a much better job than a drill would do. And, you know, I started thinking about that. And as I was preparing for this message that illustration came back to my mind uh, because no matter how hard you try, you'll never drive a nail with a drill as well as you could with a hammer. And the point there is if you use the wrong device, you're not going to get the best results. See, you can't, I, I, we got 10 inches of snow maybe around some places in Sioux Falls this week. And, and uh, we had people in our neighborhood out there with shovels and, and some of us with with snow blowers that run half the time, but I'm thankful for the half time they do run. But you know, I didn't see anybody out this week with a serving spoon clear in their driveway. Because a serving spoon can do certain things, but if you use that device to shovel snow, you're not going to get the best results. You, you shouldn't try to fix your car with duct tape, although many people around here do, I see. You know, if you use the wrong device, you're not going to get the best results. And there's some funny illustrations. We could all think of examples. But I just want to transition into this, is that, is that spiritually speaking, we resort to the wrong devices all the time. And what I mean is, we attempt to earn God's favor and receive his blessings in, in, in doing it in ways that can't earn God's favor or receive his blessings. We attempt to get what God wants for us, but we use the wrong devices to get there. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. No, there are many devices in the heart of a man, but nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand all the devices that we try it, through which to live our Christian lives or please God or earn God's favor, we think this sounds like a good idea. This might work. But if we leave God out of the equation, that device won't get us the desired result. 
In other words, listen, you, we, I think most of us in here, you're here this morning for one reason or another. I think the vast majority are here because we want a relationship with God. We want to be godly. We want to live right. We want to do things the right way. And so we lean on religion. But listen, I'm telling you, and this sounds counterproductive for a pastor to say this, but religion is the wrong device if you're trying to have a relationship with God. I know a lot of people that have religion, but no relationship. Religion, as good as it appears, it's the wrong device to please God. Now, I believe that religion is an expression of a right relationship with God, but it won't, it won't help you earn favor with God simply by doing the outward actions of a religious person. We, we want to be happy, and that's not a bad desire, but we seek very often, especially this time of year, we seek more stuff to make us happy. Well, stuff is the wrong device for happiness. Righteousness is the right device for happiness. Blessed is the man. Look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we want to be content. So we seek to change our circumstances. But our circumstances aren't what makes us content or not. Uh, those are the wrong devices. You say, well, if I just had a different car or if I had a different job or if I had a different situation in life, I could be content. But no, your contentment, those devices cannot bring you real eternal contentment in your life. They're not, the de they're not equipped for it. And so our devices, listen, our devices seem like great ideas, but they can't possibly get us what we really desire. They are an inadequate for the task when it comes to pleasing God. And this passage is about a family using the wrong devices and trying to get the right results. But see, that's like hammering a nail with a drill. It won't work. And I would just want to see how this family... The devices that they were using to get their desires and failing miserably. One thing to note before we get into this is that this story is not necessarily about wrong intentions. It appears that the intentions of at least some of the family here were they wanted God's blessings. Now, I think it's very likely that they wanted God's blessings for selfish reasons. They, they wanted God's blessings because of how it benefited them. But listen, in the end, they wanted the favor of God in their lives. That, that's what they were seeking. But the, see, the problem with this story isn't about what they wanted. It's about how they tried to get it. And listen, there are a lot of Christians, and there may be plenty of Christians with good intentions right here in this room, but trying to earn our, what we want from God in our intentions, trying to earn them with the wrong inventions. See, the desire is right, but the device is wrong. So the device that I see first here, Esau, Esau and Isaac used the device of disobedience to try and get what they wanted. Uh, and you, So just a quick note, look at Genesis 26, 34, and let's look at this here again. It says, Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. So Esau marries some of those pagan idol worshipers around him in the land. He, he, he marries of uh, the wrong bloodline. Now, uh, now, if the dysfunction of this family um, wasn't already apparent, think about his actions here. He didn't show any concern for God's desires for him to marry somebody among from his father's family. And see, who they married mattered to God. Uh, this was important because this was the, 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 the line of family from which the Messiah would come. 
And so they needed to marry then those that God was blessing and that God was, that God was, was not, uh, not deal, having to deal consequences to because they were idol worshipers. And yet Esau goes out and marries idol worshipers. He marries the pagans of the land around him. In verse 35 it says, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and Rebekah. Now Esau's actions really shouldn't surprise us based on the kind of home it seems like he was raised in. See, Isaac loved Esau. We, see, we find that in, in, in Genesis 25. Isaac loved Esau, but you know why he loved Esau? Do you remember why? Because he made good meat. You know, we've all got that friend, and every year they get a deer, and you're like, yes, that means jerky for me. Well, Esau was that guy for Isaac. And Isaac loved him so much because he made good meat. And Isaac was a man of, sen of his senses. He, he loved what he could smell and taste and, and enjoy. And, and Rebecca loved Jacob. They had their favorites. And listen, what I believe happened in his home is that by playing favorites, it created a culture in their home that allowed the kids to do what they wanted to do. Because dad didn't want Esau to be displeased. And, and, and Rebecca didn't want Jacob to be displeased. And so it creates this culture in their home where the kids are kind of doing what they want. And if you, can, you think, well, that, I don't think that's really happening. Well, just think about what Esau did. He went out as a 40-year-old man and married uh, two women of the pagans around him, knowing it would be a grief of mind to his parents. He just didn't care. And so, parents, we have to be careful uh, of downplaying a disobedient spirit in our children. When we laugh at them for throwing a fit, or we, or we say, you know, that's just cute disobedience when they're two years old. It seems harmless enough. But fast forward 15 years to them as 17-year-olds and that same spirit presents a major problem in your home. And there was a disconnect in this home because Esau clearly thinks he can do what he wants and still get what he wants. He thinks, I can do what I want. I can live how I want. Dad loves me. He loves the meat I bring him. I'm still going to be blessed. Everything will still be fine. I can do what I want and I still get what I want. But that's not reality. None, none of us, we are all aware. You don't just get to do what you want and everything comes the way you want it still. You don't get to drive how fast you want and have everything still just work out for you. I mean, it, it, that's not the way life works. You know, in this lesson, in our homes, we need to teach it to our children when they're two years old because we can handle them when they're two. But listen, better to learn it in my home with my children as a two-year-old to find out that a spirit of disobedience is not acceptable and we will not let that go. Better for them to learn it when they're two years old in my home than when they're 20 years old on the street with a policeman. You know, a spirit of disobedience... Never gets you what you want. But you, before we judge Esau too much, the apple didn't fall far, fall far from the tree. Say that ten times fast. Because Isaac's device to get what he wanted was also disobedience. You say, well, I don't know. I don't see that. Well, look what Isaac's doing. Look at verse 1 of Genesis 27. It came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, my son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison. So far, everything's okay. 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with what he's doing now. He, maybe he's having a bad day and he thinks I could, I mean, this might be it. And he wants one last good meal so far. But look at verse 4 though. And make me savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless thee before I die. So before you think that Isaac was just, he's just an old man and he just wants a good supper and just wants to kind of be happy and, re, and enjoy some good food. No, no, he's not interested in just eating. He says very clearly, I intend to bless you, Esau. Now Isaac has this intention to give the inheritance still to Esau, to give the blessing, which the blessing was not just a, a verbal blessing. It, was, it included all the supernatural parts that God had promised Abraham uh, to, he was, then Isaac wanted to give it to his son Esau. You say, well, that's what's wrong with that? He's the firstborn. Well, normally there'd be nothing wrong with it. The, the oldest son was usually the one who receives the blessing, except there are two problems. Number one, God had already, did, already declared that the boys were born, that when the boys were born, that the older would serve the younger. So Jacob was the rightful heir. Jacob was to be treated like the oldest firstborn. The second problem is Esau had already disqualified himself by who he married. So there's two problems here. Isaac knows that Jacob was the one that's prophesied to, to be treated as the firstborn. He's the one to receive the blessing. He's the one to, to receive the spiritual inheritance. He's the one that will one day uh, produce Jesus Christ the Messiah. That was already promised by God. But second, Esau married the pagan idol worshipers in the land. He's disqualified himself. And yet here's Isaac. He still wants to get what he wants. He's still doing things his way. And so, yes, Esau had the device of disobedience, but his, but his dad does too. Disobedience is the original device of men to get what they want. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Go back there and, and think about that. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's plan. And they, they traded God's plan for their own device. And they thought it would be better for them. But think about the millennia of heartache ever since. Disobedience is never harmless. It always does a world of damage. And God does not take disobedience lightly. I was reading even just this week, Deuteronomy 11, the Lord told Israel, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey and a curse if you will not obey. See, here's the baseline of the Christian life. And if you're wondering, like, where do I start? How do I start the Christian life? And, and I don't have a lot of experience and I'm trying to figure out what to do. Here's where you start. You obey God's word. And if you obey God's word, then, then you will have blessings from God. And if you don't obey God's word, you will have the consequences that come from disobedience to God's word. And it's been that way through, through history, from the, from the Garden of Eden to Israel in the wilderness, who are the ones reading this text, by the way, when it was first written by Moses, uh, to the nation of Israel rejecting God for idols, uh, to, to the Jews and the Pharisees rejecting Jesus Christ, and even on today to Christianity, the church age. Listen, obedience has always equaled blessing. Disobedience has always equaled consequences, and it's still true today. If you obey God's word, you'll be blessed. But if you disobey God's word, you'll receive the consequences for it. And really, your life, if we were to just summarize it, as a, if your life is to be summarized by what you're supposed to be doing, it is obedience to God's word. Keep his commandments. But here's the family of God. 
The, the one that God chose to represent him and bless the world through. And they're using disobedience as a device to get what they want. And it, listen, it never happens. You will not be happy. You will not be content. You will not be blessed by God if you do not obey God's word. You may think the device of disobedience will make you happy, but if this story is an example, it never works that way. But before we, we were too hard on Isaac and Esau, we have to realize there's another device at work here. See, Rebecca and Jacob, though, used the device of deception to get what they wanted. See, here's where the soap opera music starts to really crank up here. Rebecca in verse 5, she's eavesdropping. It says in verse 5, Rebecca heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. So she hears this plan, and Rebecca spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. And then she starts with this big plan this counter plan, and her plan is simple. She says in verse 10, um, thou shalt bring this meat that she's going to make to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, he saw my brother is a hairy man. I am a smooth man. He has his problems with this plan. And so they cook up this story. They cook up deception to try to trick Isaac into thinking that Jacob is actually Esau. You know, the biggest, almost hilarious, really, I mean, not hilarious, but almost ironic, funny detail of all this. Jacob was going to have to pretend to be Esau, and Esau is hairy, and Jacob's not. Listen, I love the, that the Bible includes those kind of details. And it, because it just shows the humanity of what we're dealing with here. You know, the Bible doesn't try to hide the details. And that's one reason that I, I have full confidence that we have God's preserved word for us. Because listen, if I was writing this, and this was the family I, that, that God had chosen to, to represent him to the world, I might try to hide some of these words here. But God doesn't. Because they're humans, they're, they're people just like us, and it's all so silly. You know, one thing that Jacob says to Rebekah, his contention here in verse 12, he says, Esau, my brother, is hairy. I'm a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me. I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And some people, they look at this and say, well, Jacob, Jacob was trying to do the right thing, and he's trying to do the, you know, do things the, the right way. Um, but, but let me just mention something that makes this. Uh, Jacob is not interested in doing right necessarily he's interested in not getting caught he says if my father feels me and and he finds out i'm a deceiver i'll bring a curse on me i i won't have a blessing and, and you know what even makes this all of this even more sad is that jacob is not a teenager he's not even 40 according to most commentators most historians they say that jacob and esau are probably in their mid-70s when all this happens. So here's Jacob as a 75-year-old. I mean, I know, I mean, that's a little old to dress up for Halloween. <laughs> and here he is pretending to be his brother, dressing up in Esau's clothes and trying to make himself smell like his brother, and and, and they're putting the goat skins on his hands and on his neck and 
and they're trying to, trying to make it seem like he's Esau. And, and really, it's not even so much about doing right. He just doesn't want to get caught, and, and he, doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be cursed. And then Rebecca's response is even almost worse. She says, uh, verse 13, his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. She's willing to deal with the long-term consequences of curse. A curse. So that she gets what she wants in the short term. I mean, they're using this device of deception. It, it's so laughable, but, but it's also so, it's so heartbreaking. He tells his father, he's Esau. He, he claims that God blessed him by giving the meat, him the meat so fast. And he pretends to be Esau by his smell. And listen, the device of deception, we may think, you know, well, we're good. I, I don't disobey. I, I pretty much obey God's word. And, and as a Christian and somebody that's been saved for a long time and I've got maturity and I, I'm not really dealing with disobedience. And we come to this one, this device of deception. And I think we ought to be really careful with this one. Because it's, it's pretty easy to pretend to be something we're not for God. And most of us would never blatantly let other people see us openly disobey God. But it doesn't mean that, that, that we're right with God. You see, we simply hide at times what we are behind a, a facade of deception. And we use the device of deception, unfortunately, probably far too often. And maybe not even consciously. We're so used to pretending to be spiritual or, or appearing spiritual to other people that we rely on our appearances. We rely on saying the right words and, and using the fluffy prayers and, and long, well, long time service to God and saying one thing in front of other people because we know that's what people expect. But behind closed doors, it's very possible for God's people to be something completely different than what they convey or portray in front of other people. I mean, there are a lot of acting Christians. Deception is a device of our making, but it doesn't fool God. And Adam and Eve, they tried to use the device of deception right after the device of disobedience. And they hid from God, remember, they hid from God. And then they covered themselves with, with leaves, thinking that God wouldn't see it, but God knew exactly where they were. And I'm not sure why, but we think that our device, our devices can somehow fool God and still have him bless us but if he sees us for who we really are there's no way we can enjoy happiness and contentment and God's blessings with our devices listen let's just summarize it Esau and Isaac they tried to disobey their way into God's blessings Isaac and Rebecca they tried to deceive their way into God's blessings and let me just ask you this did anybody get what they really wanted well, maybe you could say, well, Jacob still got blessed, so something went right. No, listen, Jacob would have gotten blessed if he'd have just sat there and done nothing because God already said he would. Yep. And all these devices did was tear the family apart. By using their own devices, now no one trusts anybody. The unity and love you're supposed to find in a family are nowhere to be found. Everything falls apart. And we'll look more at that hopefully next time. But even the ones that, that get what they wanted, even the ones that got blessed, even Jacob, look, uh, he didn't get it the way he wanted it. Esau left angry. Isaac's left de devastated. Rebecca loses her favorite son for 20 years, apparently. Now listen, each family member tried to obtain their desires with their own devices. 
Esau wanted the blessing he, and Isaac wanted the blessing for him. But the right desires can't justify the wrong devices. Rebecca and Jacob wanted the blessing for Jacob and it's not a wrong thing but they chose the device of deception in order to, re, to obtain it. And here's the problem. Here's what it all comes down to. Listen, you can't produce God's results with inferior devices. You might say, well, Jake and Rebecca got what they wanted, but at what cost? I mean, if you're, if you're reading your Bible, then you have to say these four people were never in the same room again at the same time. Jacob had to leave for 20 years, and it's implied he never saw his mother again alive. Esau wanted to kill him. Isaac was devastated, all because they tried to pursue their desires and produce God's results using their own devices. And listen, we may say, oh, I don't see how this applies. No, it happens all the time. It happens in our Christian lives. And again, we think religion, we think appearance is the device that pleases God, but he's not looking at that at all. Amen. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And you may have everybody else fooled, and your device of deception may be strong because you've worked it for a long time. But God sees it. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what your heart is. He knows exactly what sins you're covering up. And he knows exactly just how far away from being real you are. These devices that we get so used to, it happens in our families. You know, we, we, I want, I think about raising my kids. Listen, I want honest, respectful, obedient children that have good spirits. That's what I want. And I don't think that's, that's too much to ask. But you know, the culture's device says, well, we want our kids to express themselves how they want. So they leave it up to a four-year-old to decide, you know, well, what, what he wants or what she wants, you know, their expression of themselves, they're mature enough to decide. I'm not even talking about like the gender things, although that, that, would, that would certainly apply here. I mean, just, you know, matters of obedience. You know, that parents say, well, this is my child and they're four years old. I don't want to squash their personality. But that's the culture's device for raising children. And you tell me, look at look at our culture. Look at the generation that has been raised in our culture. And you tell me, do you want your children to act like they're acting in the streets of Minneapolis and other places right now? Because that's the product of the culture's device for raising children. But God clearly says, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother. See, God's device seems old-fashioned and everybody looks down on it and says, well, it's old-fashioned, it's not relevant, it doesn't work anymore. Except that God designed the family and he gives children to parents. And I think if anybody has designed it and created it and set it in place and they say, no, this is the device that actually works to raise godly children, I trust that a lot more than I do the culture's device. Based on the product that I'm seeing right now, I'll stick with God's devices. I'll stick with his plan. And let the culture raise the, their children how they see fit. But listen, we have God's word and it's been true as long as it's been held in God's people's hands. And it's raised generation after generation of, of children that are honest, obedient, and they have a good spirit. I'm sticking with this. 
And I'm going to ignore what I think is right in terms of my own devices and raising my children because I believe Proverbs 19.21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. I think about marriage. You know, we're seeing the results of our culture's methods of marriage. You know, we, we're seeing the result of what happens when we try to come up with our own devices for how to live a good life as a married couple. And any marriage, but any marriage not established God's way will end up in dysfunction. I mean, just like this family. And, you know, our desire is to have a strong marriage. I, I want a strong marriage. I want a good relationship with my wife. And, and I, we have it. I'm thankful for it. That's what we, that's what we should all want. But listen, but, but the only way to get there is God's plan, not mine. If husbands don't love their wives as Christ loved the church, you can't get God's results with your own devices. And if wives aren't willing to submit to their own husbands, then you, you can't get God's results with inferior devices. And you say, well, boy, this sure is an old-fashioned message. No, I, I prefer the word timeless. And that God's word hasn't changed at all. And mankind is still who we are. And this truth is what we need to lean on. Let me remind you, this is God's plan. And even Jesus submitted himself to his father because they had different roles. Does that make Jesus less valuable than the father? No. He just had a different role. And the same thing happens in a marriage. Not less value, different roles. And I know the modern devices seem just as good as scripture. But if God created marriage... Who do you trust more to know how to make it work best? God's word or our devices? Because there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. This applies in so many ways. It applies in our church. You know, we come together around God's word and we follow his instructions. And, and the issue comes when we decide our own devices will get us what we want. But listen, if you've been part of a unit very long, you know it doesn't work if everyone just decides their own devices are bigger than the good of the whole. It doesn't work in your job. It doesn't work driving down the road. I mean, you're part of a group. You, I mean, listen, serving and being part of a church family takes humility and deference and setting aside your devices and submitting for the good of the whole. That's, that's the way it works. It, it applies in your spiritual life. It applies in every way that you can think of. Listen, there are so many, there, there's so many areas of life that this applies that, that we can either do it my way and get inferior results, or we can do it God's way and get the best results. And so I'm just asking you today, what do you want? Do you want the best results? Or do you want inferior results? Because if I lean in, in my devices, I'll always have inferior results. But if I trust God's ways in every area of life, I will have the best results. I think about salvation this morning. Well, you talk about where this comes so very clear. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man. It's the, his device. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so we have our devices that we think, okay, if I'm going to live with God forever in eternity, if I'm going to have heaven when I die, then I, I've got to be baptized. 
I've got to get baptized. That's my device. That's what, that's what I think I've got to do. I've got to ha- be baptized or, or, or I've got to work really hard and earn enough. My, I need to make sure that my good works outweigh my bad works. You know, that's my device. Or I just have to have good intentions. If I have the right intentions, then that's my device. And God will be pleased with that. I mean, he'll have to accept that. Except for the, the problem is that, number one, our problem is not our intentions. Our problem is our sin. Our sin is what keeps us out of heaven. Our sin is what keeps us separated from God. The wages of sin is death. It's not, he doesn't say that, that, you know, that bad intentions keep you out of heaven. A lot of people with good intentions that won't be in heaven. And it's not because they didn't have good intentions. It's because they sought to earn heaven with their own devices. And they ignored a plan that God put in place before the foundation of the world. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus had a plan to send, or God had a plan to send Jesus Christ, his son, to be born and live on this planet and eventually die on a cross in our place for our sins because we have no way to do this on our own. I can't pay for my own sins because I am a sinner. I needed somebody to come along that was perfect and sinless and holy. And when he died on the cross and shed his blood, he was giving me access to heaven and the Father by his death. That's God's plan. And your device, whether it's baptism or good works or, or good intentions or, or whatever it is, your device will always be inferior to the plan God has already put in place. I mean, why would I trust my devices when God already has a plan? His plan is always superior to mine. And listen, if he can, if his plan will produce the best results in my life when it comes to salvation, then I can tell you this, there's nothing else that he can't handle in my life. There's no other problem I face. That's bigger than that one. And if he can handle that one, then I can say this. The wrong devices will never produce the, right, the best results. So I'm just going to trust his plans. When it comes to my family and it comes to my marriage and it comes to serving God in this church. When it comes to salvation. When it comes to being the best employee that I can be. When it comes to raising and disciplining and correcting my children. Listen, I'm just going to trust God's plan. Whatever his word says, it always produces better results than what my devices can. Wrong device, inferior results. Trying to hammer a nail with a drill. So let me ask you a few questions. Is there an area in your life that just isn't working? Something in your life that just isn't working. It, the most likely issue is not that you've done every that you've done everything right. That's, I mean, that's probably not really what's happened. The likely issue. It's much more likely that there's something you haven't submitted to God. In other words, you've been trusting your own devices. And it's time to submit to God's plan. Is there some area in your life that you're trusting your devices to produce God's results? And maybe in some area in which you know that you've disobeyed God. Or you're in the process or the act of disobedience right now. Listen, that only leads to consequences. It never needs, leads to blessings. Or maybe you're leaning on deception. Your device is pretending. No one else knows what's happening behind the curtain. No, the only device that will help us obtain the best desires is dependence on God's plan. 
there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Can you imagine how differently this family's legacy had been? If they would have been dependent on God's plan instead of disobedience and deception, we would be reading this passage with joy. Saying, look what happens when everybody just says, you know what, God's plan is always best, so I'll just submit to that. I'm telling you, the same thing would have come about. Jacob would have still received the blessing. But this family would have still been intact. Jacob and Esau would have been friends. Isaac and Rebekah would have lived a long life of trust and, and joy with each other. But instead we see what happens when we trust our devices instead of God's plans. Whose device do you trust to bring about the best ending? No, seriously, ask yourself, whose device do you trust to bring the best results in your life? Do you honestly think that your way can't produce anything close to as good as God's way? I remember when I was in college one time, I was trying to make some Kool-Aid, okay? Just a special treat. When you're in college, anything like that's a treat, okay? So I got some Kool-Aid, and I was over at somebody, somebody's house staying there for, the, for a few weeks, and, and uh, I got the Kool-Aid out, poured the Kool-Aid into the pitcher. I'm really good at recipes, following recipes, and filled it up with water, and then I added however much sugar you're supposed to. I just took a drink of it, and it was terrible. It's like, okay, well, um, I'm going to add some more sugar then. So I got some more sugar added more and it was getting worse and it wasn't until I realized that I was not adding sugar to the Kool-Aid I was adding salt see I'm really good at following recipes but you know it, it kind of is an illustration though of our Christian lives following God or our lives period following God is that it's very clear what we're supposed to be doing but we think we got it right and it's not working, but we're like, well, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because I know this plan is going to work. This is my device, and I trust my devices, so we keep adding. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And it's not till you dump it all out and start over and then get the right recipe. God's. His plan. And it's only until you discard your devices and lean on God's plans that he starts to change things around for you. He wants to do that for you. He wants your family to be intact. He wants your marriage to be strong. He wants you to raise obedient children with good spirits. He wants your finances to be in order. He wants you to be a great employee. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be content. He wants you to be joyful. But listen, here's what we have to come to. We don't get to do it all on our terms. We have to discard the devices that we think are just as good as God's answers and say, no, I'm letting go of those and I'm trusting that God's plans are really the best way to get the results that I want. As a Christian, as, as a family, as an employee, as an employer, as a church member, as a dad, a mom, a husband, a wife, a son or daughter, our devices can't produce God's results. And like that Kool-Aid, it's not until we discard our devices and trust God's ways that we get to experience the kind of life God wants you to live. So ditch the devices 
and depend on God to produce the desired results for your life. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there some area in your life that just isn't working and you've tried your own way for so long and it's time to discard it and it's time to trust God's plan again? Maybe this is about salvation for you this morning. And if I was to ask for you to raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I don't know that if I died today, I'd be on my way to heaven. If you were to raise your hand and say that, listen, today is the day that you can get that settled. You just have to let go of the devices you've been trusting in. And you have to lean on God's plan. It's time to start trusting his plans because they always produce better results. Maybe you're a, a, a dad or a mom in here and you know, you're kind of beating your head against the wall with your children. And your device has been anger and you're, I mean, you're just trying to get them to, to, to modify their behavior and you're missing the heart. Now it's time to, resort, to, to, to discard the devices and go back to God's plans. Uh, maybe you're a, a Christian in here, you're just frustrated in a relationship. This is not working because you're both trying to get what you want. And it's time to discard your devices and submit to God's plan. Maybe about salvation, you've been trying your own way. And you know if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. Well, today's the day to discard your device of works or baptism or whatever you're trusting in and say, no, I just need Jesus. He died already. He paid for the price, the price for my sin. His plan is best. I'll trust it. However the Lord has, has maybe used this to apply to your life, would you respond this morning? I'm going to pray and then the invitation is open. And if God's working in your heart about your own devices, maybe it's time to do business with him this morning. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.